after one year of working there, I had like two weeks of vacation, right? Like two weeks. So I was really excited. I took that time to go on、um, a trip to Bali. On the first day I came back, they pulled me into a room and told me that my job was not needed anymore. First, of course, I was surprised, but the second reaction, I felt relieved. Like you know, I just got、mm-hmm. freed. Hello and welcome to Inside Out, the podcast about badass millennials living out their dreams and how they got there. I'm your host, Jamesy. Happy New Year! We made it to 2021. I hope you had a wonderful holiday and spent some quality time with family and friends. I, for one, got a much-needed break. I didn't even realize how burnt out I was, but I spent a lot of time just chilling out, eating good food, spent some time outside, and I got some time to do some exciting stuff for the podcast. Drumroll, please! We have a new website. That's right, we're now live on the interwebs at InsideOutWithJane.com. Go check it out after the show and let me know what you think. This also means you can now email me at my fancy new email at hello at insideoutwithjane.com, or if you feel like leaving me a voice note, you can actually do that right on the website. I love hearing from you guys, and I read and listen to every word you guys send. So please reach out if you have comments, questions, or if you want to suggest a future guest. All right, on to today's episode. I wanted to kick off this year with my friend Viola Wang because she's gone through such a transformation over the years—a glow up, if you will. And I'm not talking just physically, but mentally and spiritually. And she just radiates positivity. We met at McGill over a decade ago, and last year we even got to travel to Costa Rica together with a few other friends. When Viola was ten, she immigrated to Canada with her family from China. She was extremely shy at the time and spoke zero English. In today's episode, we talk about the different ways that Viola has challenged herself over the years to overcome her social anxiety by trying things like dance and cheerleading and solo traveling. Today, Viola is her own boss. She runs a successful travel blog and Instagram called The Blessing Bucket, where she shares gorgeous travel photos and gives practical tips to travelers on a budget. She supports herself through teaching English online, and last year she's even expanded to classes in crafting, yoga, and dance. Here's Viola talking about her hometown of Chengdu, China. Honestly, I'm probably biased, but I feel like Chengdu, Sichuan, is like one of the best cities in China and super underrated.、Um, the food is probably what I remember the most. When me and my cousin was growing up, we used to always sneak to、um, these street hawker stalls after school to get like spicy barbecue skewers, and it was actually forbidden by like our parents because they think it was like not clean. But we would still go all the time, and、um, we were caught a couple times, and we were in big trouble. But it was probably the best part of my childhood growing up in Sichuan, just like. All the yummy food and like it's such a lively city, but it's also really chill at the same time. So if anyone ever goes to China, I definitely recommend checking out Chengdu. Even when I go back now, it's just so nostalgic. Like all the the smell on the street just brings back so much memory of my childhood. Is it the smell of like peppercorn and spices when you、oh, walk、yes. around? <laughs> 
Yes, it's that mala smell, you know, like mm-hmm. the mouth numbing spices that Chengdu oh is like gosh. really famous for. <laughs> is your spice tolerance still like super high? Oh, definitely not. It has gone down a lot since I moved away as a child. That makes sense. You'll have to build it back up again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you moved to Toronto with your family when you were 10. What mm-hmm. do you remember about that time and why did your family choose to immigrate? I think my parents, they wanted me to get a better education. That was the thought at the time, just in general back then, um, you know, the, it was the thought that the Western education system is a lot more advanced and developed. And it was like my parents' dream for me to be able to speak English. So they decided that we would move here. So I was in grade five when I came and I didn't speak any English back then. So for the first couple of years, I would say it was quite isolating and I didn't really have many friends. I was in ESL and I was just a very shy and quiet kid and just not being able to communicate just added to that. So I had a lot of like social anxiety, but towards the end of middle school and high school, I started be able to speak more English. So I I got a little bit better and I was able to make some friends and become a little bit more outgoing during those times. Mm. Yeah. What were the ways that you learned to speak English that worked for you? Just watching a lot of TV, honestly, right? (laughs) The best way for kids to learn. Um, And yeah, ESL classes, definitely. Uh, It was very helpful. Uh, reading very simple books. I remember it was the time when I, I remember asking the teacher, what does long mean? <laughs> you know, I'm like 11 years old. I was like, what does this word mean? <laughs> it was a very simple word. Um, Were the teachers patient with you? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. The ESL teacher, she was actually a, a Chinese lady too. So she, she was able to speak Chinese. So that was really, really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah, I asked because now you're in the in her position of yes. teaching kids to speak English. <laughs> it must be cool to have that come full circle. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, well, I pretend I don't speak Chinese in my classes, <laughs> which is pretty funny, just so that kids can have that full immersive experience, right? Mm. I don't want to give them that incentive like, oh, I can like speak Chinese and she understand. <laughs> yeah. So I want to talk a bit about dancing because that's been a huge part of your life. And so much of how I know you is you're always doing some kind of movement based practice. Um, mm-hmm. When did you start dancing? I did some dancing when I was a kid. It was Chinese traditional dancing. I probably started when I was about six or seven, I want to say, but after I moved to Canada, I would kind of stop that, um, of course, you know, coming into a new life and everything. And then when I was about 15, you know, So You Think You Can Dance was really big at the time, right? I was really into that show. And I just like, decided that, oh, my gosh, I, I really want to take dance classes and learn how to dance. So I actually, it's funny, I went back to my diary a couple of days ago and I found the exact date I went to a studio for the first time. I was 15 years old and I don't know what gave me that courage as a super shy, introverted kid to be like, I want to go to a studio by myself and learn dance, but I'm really glad I did. Um, and I've never stopped since in high school. I would like 
go to the studio every single day after my classes. And, you know, even my mom, she was like, is this going to distract you from school? But I was like, no, no, no. I promise I'll keep my grades up. I just like really want to do it. But and I, I kept my promise, you know, still got good marks and stuff. So she was like, okay, you can do this thing. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just never stopped dancing since. And I love it so much. I feel like it helped me come out of my shell a lot. It's my personal creative outlet and just gave me so much in my life, you know? That's amazing. So what style of dance did that studio do? Were you just like you watch so you think you can dance and then you're like, oh, I, I want to dance like that. And then you look yeah. for a studio. Yeah, actually, I started out in jazz, but <laughs> it was very heavy in technique. Right. So I was like, oh, I cannot lift my leg that high. So <laughs> let's switch to hip hop. <laughs> And that was like, that was it. That was like, oh, yes, hip hop, I can do. Because it's more about the, you know, the vibe, the groove and the energy that you bring versus like, ooh, three pirouettes turns. So I was like, okay, this I can, I can do. I can get better at it if I, if I practice. So I started with hip hop. And as you know, the, the style that I, I do that is a little bit more niche is called whacking. So that is like a style that's very uh, dramatic. It's done to disco music traditionally. Uh, it originated from LA and it's a lot of crazy arm coordinations and a lot of theatrical posings and it's really, really fun. Yeah. yeah, I remember you gave us a little tutorial that one time. I still will like whip it out once or twice. I think once in a Bollywood class that so I do this thing called Bali X. Yes, actually, um, there's a fusion though called the Bali Whack. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, it's like Bollywood and whacking mix. Wow. <laughs> Have you done Bollywood dancing? A little bit. Yeah, it's it's super high energy. It's really it's very. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love the poses at the end where you're just like so dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those listening, Vi and I met at McGill where we both went to undergrad together. And one of my first memories of you is seeing meeting you in the dorm. I think you just come back from cheerleading practice or tryouts. My intro to Vi was like as a cheerleader. Did that end up being a big part of your McGill? experience it definitely was in my first year it was one of those things again of me attempting something new and trying to like push myself out of my shell I think the common theme me growing up is just feeling really awkward and like shy and wanting to be more uh, outgoing and have less social anxiety So yeah, me joining the cheerleading team was another attempt to like, oh, like try something new to challenge myself. And also, you know, the uniform is cute. Not gonna lie. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. First year, I definitely, um, cheerleading was like a big part of my life. We practiced like three, four times a week and it was very physically exhausting. So Mm. It was a challenge for sure. It was a good experience. But in the end, I just felt a bit burned out and I decided to not continue. I felt like dance ultimately is like my my love and I wanted to go back to that. Did you find other ways while you were at McGill to come out of your shell? Honestly, I think it's just through meeting people like you and the rest of our girl gang 
and just all having these like little social gatherings and talking more and more with other people, you know, and I feel like the cohort at McGill are such bright and like just like kind people out of like most people that I met there uh, that just had like a good energy, you know, like the all the people that we were able to become friends with in our group, like a supportive environment. Mm. Yeah, that helped me a lot. So I'm going to tell them like what we called our apartments. So it's funny, <laughs> we had these two apartments of uh, our friends that we'd always hang out with each other. And we weren't part of like actual Greek life at McGill, but the apartment <laughs> I lived in with my two roommates, we called Pi Pi Gamma, which was the sorority. And then Vi's apartment, you guys were four and we called it the frat, which is so <laughs> ironic because you guys were the type to go to bed early and yeah. rise early and like not party too much we had another name it's the not so desperate housewives oh <laughs> <laughs> that is accurate so at some point you made another move which was even bigger where you studied abroad in Australia can you yeah. tell us a bit about that adventure yeah I think that was my first love affair with traveling it was the first time I went abroad by myself. It was a major move. I remember in the beginning, I had to deal with, you know, house hunting and a lot of stressful things by myself. At one point, I couldn't find an apartment and I had to move out of my hostel. So I was like, homeless for like, <laughs> half a day like not long but like half a day it was like sitting on the curb I was like whoa <laughs> this is like pretty insane I'm in a foreign country and like I have nowhere to go but at, yeah it was a very empowering experience for sure just like knowing that I can handle situations by myself um, and in Australia I, I got to meet like so many cool friends I took a side trip to New Zealand that was amazing. So that trip just like made me fall in love with travel. And I realized that I want to live a life full of moments like this, you know, lots of adventure and see the rest of the world and learn more about what's out there. Yeah. And my, did you see the world? And we'll get to that. So um, after you moved back from Australia, back to Montreal to finish up at McGill, um, what did you do right after graduating? So right after graduating, I started working out, uh, working out, working at <laughs> um, a major corporation. So I studied human resources in at McGill or industrial relations is the formal name. So I started working out at this major corporation for about a year. So during that time, I was just in and, in and out of an office all day. And I just didn't really feel like it was what I really wanted to do for the long term, you know? I thought that was what I wanted growing up. But, you know, after going to Australia and everything, I just felt like, whoa, there's a there's a different way that I could live my life. I didn't know what, but I just didn't feel like being in an office all the time is what I want to do for the rest of my life. But I just kept going because I didn't know what the way out was. Uh, after one year of working there, I had like two weeks of vacation, right? Like two weeks. So I was really excited. I took that time to go on um, a trip to Indonesia, to Bali. And by the time I came back, 
on the first day I came back, they pulled me into a room and told me that my job was not needed anymore. So essentially <laughs> I was, I was laid off. Yeah. First, of course, I was surprised. But the second reaction, I felt like relief, like, you know, I just got mm. freed from a cage. Of course, I only tell my parents that. <laughs> but I just felt like, like, oh, I was given a second chance to do something else with my life. Like, I don't know what it was, but I just felt really, really good, like to have a door of opportunity to see like what else I could do. Yeah. Do you think if that didn't happen that you would have quit eventually? I wonder about that. Honestly, I don't know because the younger me was, you know, very still um, very scared. And, you know, the path that was instilled in me growing up was that, you know, you get good grades, you know, the typical Asian philosophy, you know, you get a good grade, you get a stable job. I think stable is like the keyword for us in like Asian culture. And you would just follow that path, you know, so that was what my parents taught me as well. And that was the stable job. That was what I had. So I think it would have taken a lot in me to like quit. I, I wish I could say I was like, so badass and I walked in there and be like I quit my job <laughs> like what, what people say in the movies but yeah I didn't and they let me go which I was like thankful that they did I would I would like to think that I would have done it eventually myself after that stint you started creating content online right how how did yeah. you get started I was in Japan at the time Right. So I applied to go work in Japan, uh, teaching English, because that, that just felt like such a perfect way to make an income while exploring a, a new country as unique as Japan. So I was in Japan. And after my first year, after I got a handle on the job, I felt like, oh, like, you know, I have time to do uh, other things. And Japan is such a unique country. I figured that it would be cool for me to share about what life is like there. And I was living in Sendai, which is not a very well-known city internationally. For the Japanese people, yes, they all know Sendai. But for people outside of Japan, they all only know usually Tokyo or Osaka. Um, so they didn't know too much about Sendai. I decided to share more about what Sendai is all about. I think I the first post that did really well was a. Uh, a 99 things to do in Sendai post that I made. And also because J the Japanese cultures, they love to appreciate things and they have a lot of holidays. Uh, with, it's kind of funny because people work really hard. They don't take a lot of time off. They end up working on those holidays, <laughs> but they have all these wow. appreciation days. They have mountain days. They have hmm. ocean days, you know, they have children's day. They have all these days to appreciate things so me as the foreign teacher uh I just I took those days off and it's not the same working standard wasn't applied to me while everybody else was like <laughs> working <laughs> away on those days I took those chances to um take vacation take trips to like neighboring countries so I hopped to places like Taiwan and Philippines China I went back to China before Korea yeah I went to Korea so it was a perfect opportunity. So I got to blog about those places as well. 
and uh, make a lot of content. So, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that about like Mountain Day and Ocean Day. That <laughs> sounds awesome. Like yeah. <laughs> is the idea that like you're supposed to go and hike a mountain or like visit a mountain on that yeah. day. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. The Japanese culture is like very connected with nature. It's really beautiful. Yeah. What does the region look like? Is it mountainous? Is there like forest around? Are you close to the ocean? Yeah, Sunday is very uh, nice in that it's like right near the ocean. Mm-hmm. And it's like if you go from Tokyo by bullet train, it takes about an hour and a half. So it's in the northeastern region of Japan. And because it's so close to the ocean and it's a big producer of rice, the sushi there is like absolutely amazing. <gasps> yeah, oh. it's like the perfect combination. Mm-hmm. Actually, if you remember back in 2011, there was a big earthquake in Japan. Sendai was like right in the middle of that oh, uh, my goodness. disaster, unfortunately. Yeah, but they had done a lot of recovery since that time. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so cool to see like the community effort that came out of that disaster. I mean, obviously, yeah. it's such a tragedy, but yeah. like you see pictures of like people lining up for food but like everyone's so orderly and polite and like yes. you know those who are most vulnerable they let go first which is yes. how it should be yes japan it just is next level in terms of how considerate the people are it just i've never ceased to be amazed at how amazing and polite and helpful the people are i remember there was a day I lost my wallet and my phone at the train station. It, it had a lot of cash in it because, you know, in Japan, everybody just carry cash. Cash is king there. People still don't use cars very much. And I was so panicky, but I just went to the lost and found. And there it was like somebody had returned it. Oh, wow. And you just, ex- yeah, you can expect that to happen a lot in Japan. People are just very honest and they have a very strong moral. <laughs> I just love that about Japanese culture and Japanese people. I had a similar experience when I visited Japan last year and we had breakfast at this place in Tokyo and I left my sunglasses there mm-hmm. and I didn't even realize until we walked out of the restaurant and we probably walked like 500 meters down the street already and then yeah. what by the time I realized like I turn around and this older waiter man is running towards us <laughs> holding the sunglasses and yeah. I was like that is so sweet they were literally like ten dollar sunglasses but <laughs> he, he like felt it was obligation to yeah. return them that happens all the time. And also funny, um, because in Japan, it tips tipping is not a culture. They don't accept tips. If you leave a tip for them, they will come chase you out with the money. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Like you already paid. Like take your yeah. money back. Yeah. Aww. Really funny. Yeah, very sweet. Did <laughs> you feel at home as a foreigner living in Japan? I felt pretty at home, I would say. For me, I have an advantage of being an invisible foreigner, as I like to call it, you know, because I am Asian that my face blends in with the crowd, right? Um, A lot of my other friends do not have that advantage. Like I I got another friend who went over also from Toronto. She's, you know, blonde and blue eye, very, 
she sticks out as a foreigner and she said like some days she just felt exhausted of, of being stared at and if she goes to a grocery store she like put her hoodie on and like being a celebrity yeah <laughs> but I never had that kind of trouble it's only when I open my mouth sometimes they're like wait hold on like you're not Japanese <laughs> <laughs> yeah but um yeah for most of the time I felt pretty at home it's just because the people are are so kind Mm-hmm. Um, in some other countries, as you know, like if you don't speak the language well, people are kind of like standoffish. But Japanese people, they're like impressed. If you even try, you know, you say the like the simplest thing, you're like, thank you in Japanese. They're like, Arigato gozaimasu. They're like, whoa, you speak <laughs> Japanese so well. Wow, applause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk a bit about your teaching experience? And is that what you, what got you into teaching that you continue now today? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Before that point, I, I never had any teaching experience. But yeah, I worked at a junior high school with two visits to like a elementary school two times a week. So my job was to be the native, uh, you know, reference English speaker. So as a, we call the job an ALT, so assistant language teacher. So uh, the role is to provide, you know, the native pronunciation and model reading and make, just make the language interesting and fun through like games and, you know, different activities during class. And I, I really enjoy the job. I loved it. I just felt very appreciated. I was always kind of like the fun teacher. Like if, if kids see me like walking to class with the Japanese English teacher, they're like, oh, Viola Sensei is coming. That means we're going to play games. And they were like cheer and applause. So that was like really, really nice. You know, whenever I come to kids are like, yay, today we'll play games. So that was really fun. And uh, just received a lot of love from the students who like make me little cards on you know, holidays and stuff, as they do for like all the teachers. So they really appreciate their teachers. And that was really lovely. So yeah, it definitely after that experience, I I realized like, I really like working with kids, and I enjoy teaching. So I, I started teaching English online as well, after leaving that job. Yeah, sounds like you're really good at it. Not everyone can deal all day with junior high kids and like so much energy, but it sounds like that kind of suits your personality. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So is teaching the main way that you've been supporting yourself financially over these years? Yeah, I would say that's a big chunk of it. I mean, my blog brings in also like income from advertising and affiliate marketing and sponsored content and all that but teaching yeah like definitely is like the stable part of things and the blogging is more like up and down over time so very appreciative of having this option it's it's, that's a nice baseline so at least you have a safety net to explore Um, let's talk a bit about your blog blessing bucket when did you start to see it gain traction and take off so I started with it, I think in 2017, I feel like it really started to take off maybe like half a year later. It was when I stepped up my photography game <laughs> that it really started to see more and more traffic and, you know, posting regularly on Instagram and like building a community there. 
so yeah, photography, <laughs> big thing to work on if you 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 are like someone who is starting in blogging because you know I think we're all visual creatures. So I I really like took time to learn how to like compose travel images that's appealing for the eye and like how to use tools like Lightroom to edit. And just like you know, coupling that with like really practical tips in in the writing, that yeah. I felt like that was like the the formula that I that I, I caught on to that that helped me bring on more and more traffic to the blog. Mm, yeah, your mm. photos are amazing. They're so professional and colorful most of the time. How do you set up these shots? Like, are you usually alone and you set up self portraits? It really varies. Yeah, usually. I, I just grab whatever option I have. I really don't know until I show up at that place. If I'm alone, you know, I have my tripod with me. If uh, sometimes I might be traveling with like a friend, uh, you know, like when I traveled to, with our friend Fanola to Turkey and uh, uh, Alberta, Canada and stuff, I would just like compose a shot, decide what I want and then hand it off to that person. Like I'll take a p- picture first of like, okay, this is how I want to frame it. That's where I'm going to be. Mm. So like, please take it this way. Yeah. And sometimes even if I have my tripod, like I'll set it up on the tripod and just be like, just have to press the button. I feel like you need to start making TikTok videos of like how to set up a perfect travel photo. Because I see people, you know, making little videos like that, you know, how to pose for Instagram photos. I feel Mm -hmm. like you'd be so good at that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) What poses to do. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So what are some of your favorite places that you visited? Probably like the experiences where it was like slow travel always mm-hmm. stick out to me the most in my memories. Like trips where I've not stuck around for only like two days or three days, but for a longer time, like two weeks mm-hmm. or two years <laughs> in the case of Japan. So I really like my trip to Mexico where I did a work away in um, a little hostel in Cancun. So that was really nice. Uh, my first time in Mexico was so beautiful. The water there is just the most incredible blue water I've ever seen. You have all these beautiful cenotes, the underground rivers where you can swim, like super clear water. That's like always warm for some reason. Well, I guess it's a sunny place. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and I was there on a workaway, like I said, uh, highly recommend workaway for those who want to travel on a budget and can have like a possibility of doing slow travel. So I was working in this hostel. I was really a useless volunteer, to be honest, like, because my <laughs> standard was so bad that I always needed other volunteers to help me if I if my if my job was in reception. <laughs> so we would just work like three four hours in the morning, and in the afternoon we take off to go to the beach or go explore a cenote nearby or like chill out by the pool in in the hostel if we're like too lazy so it was like absolutely amazing and costa rica too i also did a work away there yeah jay was with me (laughs) in costa rica that was the best trip i'm Mm -hmm. so glad we got to do that before the world shut down (laughs) (laughs) and then you went to peru after yes oh yeah that was also really amazing i was with uh this company that does ethical um, local immersive tours. So we were living on this eco farm in the Sacred Valley where we got to learn about their way of life and um, how they 
build their houses using just like all material found in nature and uh, how they preserve like their way of life for like many many years to come even though the outside world has like advanced to you know technology and and all these like crazy things they just like stuck to their traditions it was like really really cool I love this idea of slow travel. I know there's a whole movement around slow food, but do you know if that's like an official term, like slow travel? I think so. I use it. I've heard other people use it. Yeah, it's definitely becoming bigger. And with van life, right? Like people now, are, mm, true. Are, that's a big trend. Like people yeah. getting a van and just taking their time and exploring. Yeah, it's like you can actually stop and smell the roses instead Mm -hmm. of just like zipping from airport to airport. Seems like a much more like personally sustainable way to do it. And when you stick around one place, you really get to know the people. And Mm. that's that's like, you know, I feel like the big factor that makes a travel experience special. Yeah. yeah, you must have met hundreds, maybe thousands of people in your travels. Do you keep in touch (laughs) with some of them? I try my best. Yeah, actually, just this week, I, I had a call with my group that I traveled with in, in Peru and two of the other girls that I traveled with in Morocco. So oh, wow. yeah, of the people I've made a connection with, I definitely try to stay in touch. It's nice because like a, a girl I met in Australia years ago on the surf camp, when I went to France, I got to stay with her in her house. Like she hosted me. So it's, it's amazing. Like you can catch up somewhere else in the world one day. Mm, so, yeah. yeah, that's so cool. It's like you've got family all over the world. Mm-hmm. With the content that you put out on Instagram and on your blog, what kinds of people follow you? Is it other travelers who are looking for you know, travel tips or what kinds of people are you bringing together? Yeah, mostly young travelers like millennials, like us, looking for tips on a place that they're thinking of going. And uh, I guess people who likes travel photography also follows me. It's a mixed bag, really. But yeah, usually younger travelers, and mostly girls, I want to say, <laughs> like female travelers, you know, mm-hmm. um, a lot of like solo female travelers who uh, are looking for like, female like related tips as well right Mm. there's not like a whole lot of that kind of uh tips out there yeah traveling definitely changed my life it's just so empowering you know to like be out there in the world and like handle all 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 these things that come up (laughs) along your way by yourself and also Mm. it's just humbling too like to know like not everything is like about me you know like to see like all these different ways that people are living it makes you want to like contribute to Mm. the world you know like takes you out of your your own self yeah like me looking back now as you I told you I was reading my diary as a as a kid as a teenager I'm like wow I've come a long way Mm, (laughs) yeah yeah traveling definitely I have to think a few years ago, you also chose to uh, go into the world of yoga and and actually go all the way to India and do yoga teacher training. Um, where did that fit in your kind of worldview around adventure and slow travel? And was that kind of a conscious choice or did you kind of fall yeah. into the world of yoga? 
I was traveling the world and doing all these things, I just felt like something is still missing in myself in that I was happy, but at the same time, I felt like I'm still anxious a lot of times about things like, uh, you know, worrying about the future and like, what's going to become of my life? Like, I'm like, can I travel forever? You know, like just worrying about the day that, that my castle might possibly crumble and all these thoughts and stuff. I just wanted to have a way of knowing myself better and, uh, you know, take a journey into myself. And yoga was the my ticket <laughs> to do that. I really wanted to get an authentic yoga education because for me, it was like a spiritual journey that I, I wanted to go on. So I decided to go to India to Rishikesh, which is known as the origin of yoga. And it's like the yoga capital of the world. People go there from all over the world to study. So I went there. It was an amazing place. It's like in the foothill of the Himalayas in northern India, right next to the holy Ganga River, like their, the holy Indian River. And it was just a very peaceful little town. It was like very cute in the mountains. And in that whole month of studying there, I just never felt more at peace with myself and like in my life. Just every day we, we would have classes in yoga and also like in yoga philosophy and mantra chanting. I didn't have to think about anything else. Had no thoughts, no stress and no other agenda other than just like, wow, like learning and connecting with myself and like my body, my spirit. The community there was so wonderful, so beautiful. Like people who was uh, studying yoga who came from all over the world. We live like really simple. Accommodation was really simple. Some days we didn't even have hot water to like take showers. But it was just such a happy vibe. Like it felt very pure. In that month, I felt like it brought so much stillness to my mind and I learned to let go of things that I cannot control. I feel like we say that all the time, right? We all know like we should not hold on to things that we cannot control, but it's really like something you need to exercise and practice to like actually be able to do. And yoga is so good for like teaching you how to do that. It's like a muscle you have to exercise. Mm. So yeah, I'm so glad I, I took that journey and now it's, a part of my life. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you know, this podcast is called Inside Out. As much as, you know, the people I bring on here are people who outwardly are doing amazing things and in some way, like objectively successful or whatnot, like it takes a lot of inner work to get to that place. And I feel like you're one of the people who has really done that and, and you talk about it openly, which is amazing. What's your kind of advice for anyone who, like me, is like struggling to find that stillness? Do I need to go to a yoga retreat and just like take a month off or or can you find that in smaller doses? I mean, that that's not a bad way to start, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you can start anywhere at home. Like there's so much resources now, right, uh, online and completely free too, like on YouTube and stuff. Um, that you can just follow along, just carve out some space and time for yourself. Um, even if it's like five minutes every day and just give yourself that time and permission to like take care of yourself, you know? Uh, mm. I feel like you have to remember like it's a journey with yoga. Like sometimes I forget too, if I see, you know, um, 
pictures of people doing crazy poses on, on Instagram. I'm like, oh, I can't do that. But and then again, I remember that's not what yoga is about, you know? It's all about your own journey and it has nothing to do with anybody else. Take baby steps one at a time to start with like five minutes every day. Even if it's not doing yoga asanas like poses, even just start with like simple breathing exercise or like a meditation. Once you can get into that, you can like do a little bit more next time. I would love to be one of those people that just like can sit there for an hour and be Zen. Like just the <laughs> thought of a five minute meditation even is like, oh, <laughs> it's not with two minutes. Yeah. 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 I, I get you. Um, actually, uh, actually, yeah. Meditation is like, it's hard. Like you think it's just like sitting there doing nothing, but me too. Like I'm, I like, like to move around a lot. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's hard to just sit there. Actually yeah. this year I was, um, planning to do a Vipassana retreat, which is like one of those silent retreats, you know? Um, And I signed up for it and I got into it. It's like 10 days. I signed up for it multiple times because it kept on getting getting on the wait list and it was full. So when I finally got onto it was like 10 days, uh, the pandemic happened. (laughs) So I was not able to go after all. You could do your own silent retreat. I feel like that would be very distracting at home, you know, like like snacks and (laughs) right. (laughs) Um, Speaking of retreats, you were also thinking about organizing your own retreat in Costa Rica. Yeah, that was supposed to happen this year. Of course it didn't. Um, But next year, I'm hoping to definitely make it happen. Uh, So I already have my contacts in Costa Rica with the retreat that I've stayed with and volunteered at in uh, Arenal, which is the, you know, that beautiful lake in Costa Rica. And uh, we're going to do it in two locations, one at the lake and one at like a retreat near the, the beach. So we're going to get like best of both worlds, a little bit of beach time, a little bit of jungle play time. And yeah, we'll be able to do yoga and connect with uh, each other, like whatever, whoever comes on with the trip and do some adventurous activities. So it's still the dream and still the plan. So hopefully I'm going to make it happen next year. Keep me posted because that sounds super fun. And I would love to go back. Costa Rica is just like the perfect place to have a wellness retreat. You know, like the nature is just like in itself is like super amazing. Super zen. Super zen. Let's talk about how you've been filling your time during the pandemic. I feel like your schedule has just piled on <laughs> with more and more teaching and you're teaching things like dance and yoga and crafts yeah. in addition to your English. So tell us a <laughs> bit about that. Yeah, I'm just all over the place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can say that. That's another way to put it. So this year, once I came back from Peru, like right right when uh, everywhere started shutting down, I realized like the travel industry kind of just came to a halt, you know, overnight. And I need to figure out what to do now. Like, what am I going to pivot to? And it just so happened that I, I learned about this platform where you can teach whatever you want online. So that just like gave me a lot of ideas. I thought I could teach maybe like travel blogging or like different cultures around the world or yoga or dance or drawing. And uh, I've tried a couple of things and my dance classes became really popular. That's what 
that's what stuck out. So I, so I said, okay, like, let's go with that. So I, I really started teaching more and more dance classes and the crafting classes too. Also, those are really popular with little kids. Ever since June, I think it was, it just kind of uh, flourished and it's really fun. I really enjoy it. I love being creative, like in different ways and like to bring that joy to kids is really, really special to like, you know, receive feedback and comments about how it really helped uh, the kids and their families in a time of quarantine and they're like, cannot go outside and like do the activities that they used to do to like know mm-hmm. that it brought a little bit of joy into their day. It's like really, really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's so special. Teacher Viola. <laughs> do you think you'll be teaching after the world opens up? I think so. I mean, I'll have to work out how it can work with my schedule if I start traveling again. So there's yeah. probably not going to be as much consistency now because, you know, like I run the class same time every week. But if I start traveling, I'm not sure how I can like be like, oh, this one's I'm, mm. I'm going to take off again. And right, <laughs> two weeks right. later, oh, I have to come back again later. <laughs> yeah. To be figured out. Yeah. yeah. Maybe you pare it down to your favorite classes and just do those. Yeah. Or, you know. Yeah. Oh, let's have class outside. <laughs> in yeah, this, uh, in this mountain today. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> let's end on like a piece of advice today. There's so many options to have a career on the internet as a content creator or teaching or things like that. For folks who are interested in pursuing something and kind of working for themselves, what's your advice for crafting a career like you have? Well, there's so many advice to uh, can possibly give, but I guess I'll just say two. I guess the first one is consistency, right? Like showing up on the regular. The more you show up, the more people get to know you and it'll just be, become like you're like their friend, you know? And uh, the other one, I guess, is just being genuine, being genuine to who you are and uh, knowing what you have to offer, what makes you unique. And being genuine in terms of just being willing to help other people uh, be a good person and maintain that real human connection. Like if someone messaged me with questions on Instagram, always make sure that I respond. And I, no matter, you know, how big I might get, that's something I will always try to continue to do. So yeah, I think those are my two uh, advice, consistency and genuine. That's great advice. And if people are interested in learning more about you and your work, where can they find you? You can find me on Instagram at The Blessing Bucket, or you can find me at my website, theblessingbucket.com. Thank you so much, Viola, for coming on the show. You are such an inspiration and you just radiate positivity. Thank you for bringing your energy. (laughs) Thanks, Jane. And that wraps up our first episode of the year. What did you think? You can write me a quick email at hello at insideoutwithjane.com or leave me a voice note on the website. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at insideoutwithjane for photos and videos from this episode. Have a great first week of January and I'll talk to you next Tuesday.